Good morning. Karen's still here. That's good because I would like to take this opportunity just for Karen's got to run. She's got a children's choir rehearsal back there, music rehearsal. But I want to take this opportunity to thank the worship team. The job that they do, <clears throat> the work that they put in and the job they do every Sunday in leading us into worship for the music portion. It's just amazing. But you know what? Karen was on her A-game today. She was on her a But you know why? That's not surprising to me. Because once you become a member of Ridley Park Presbyterian Church, <laughs> everything is great, isn't it? <laughs> um, and congratulations to all the other members. Karen and I really are excited. I mean, I know we've been here for seven years. But to finally be members, you know, what took so long, right? Uh, uh, but to finally be members of this wonderful church family, we are excited to see and eagerly anticipate what God is going to do over the coming years. Uh, the first thing I have for you this morning is a little exercise. All right, we all set with the over. There's going to be some symbols placed up here. And let me see if you know what the symbol stands for. All right, pretty easy, right? McDonald's. We know that one everywhere. Okay, next. Uh, Subaru, good. Some, some of you know your cars. Next. Oh, the Nike swoosh. Good. Oh, oh you're all Penn State fans. I wasn't sure how we do that one. <laughs> all right, we kind of dipped a little bit on that one. We, okay, the Democrats and the Republicans. Okay, the Apple computer. Oh, the fish or the ichthus or Christian, all right. Ah, there we go. That's the symbol for the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, what do symbols do? They give an instantaneous, an instantaneous understanding of what it is referring to, an immediate identification. Now, you and I stereotype certain character qualities of individuals or occupations as well. Uh, the first two I've chosen, my mom always said, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. But the first two might fit into that category. So I have a billboard you might have seen over Christmas. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Do you need legal advice? Morgan and Morgan lie. Who would sue the jolly old elf anyway? Probably pretty good promotion. But for most of us, we would probably say, that's what we think of lawyers, okay? For, uh, you know, we've heard of ambulance chasers and all those guys. Lawyers don't typically have the greatest reputation for many of us. And the second one I chose would be the same, politicians. You know, for politicians. See, automatically, we all have some type of feeling or emotion about that. Uh, let's move a little bit to the positive. Teachers. Hopefully most of us would like to think, there we go. Most of us would like to think, here are people that are concerned about children and would like to participate in mentoring and uh, bringing up children, developing children. Doctors, healers, lifesavers, caregivers, first responders, brave selfless, willing to give their own lives for the safety and the concern of others. Christians, depends on who you talk to, doesn't it? 
Christians don't do well in the world. We think a lot of ourselves. And other Christians, we, you know, we, we're a separate community. But in the world around us, we have some pretty negative perspectives out there on who we are as Christians. Many people outside the church have similar views as Gandhi when he says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Some people's viewpoint. There was a Jewish rabbi once made a comment to a well-known pastor that if Christians were just kind to each other, I might consider the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. In the outside world, sometimes the reputation that we have as Christians is tainted and is not good. The church does not receive for many a five-star recommendation as far as an agency, a person, or an organization. The mark of the world is the sinful nature. Right? What qualifies the world is the sinful nature for which it follows. If you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, please. 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from verse 11 through 15. First John chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. Take off the watch here, keep an eye on that. This is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. There's a good line right there. I don't worry about some people hating me because some people oppose Christianity and Christ to the end. That's okay. If there's a bad reputation because of who we are, though, that's a different story. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. You know, during our lifetime, we're all involved in a number of different groups, communities, the family, the community we live in, work, you've played on a team, or maybe a musical kind of a presentation. We have the church as far as a family. And of all the groups on that list, and there are many, many others that you might be involved in, you would think the family would be the one group where there was respect and love, and safety and comfort. But the example we have here from 1 John chapter 3, where Cain murdered his brother, and we all know from the world we live in, even that's not the case. The abuse, the agony, the pain, sometimes the jealousy, the hatred, in the confines of a family. It's not what God designed. The home is designed to be the loving, 
safe haven for each of us. Here in 1 John 3, John is admonishing us to love one another. He tells us not to be like Cain, who murdered his brother. You know, Galatians chapter 5, we find that there are two very uh, powerful spiritual influences, and each one of us follows one or the other. And sometimes we kind of slip back and forth. All right, the first one is the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we have a list of the character qualities of those who follow the sinful nature or the flesh. And they include, include hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and then several other negative qualities about those who follow their own human nature, the sinful nature. And we see that everywhere. And that's where I said sometimes we flip into that as hard as we try not to. In 1 John 3.12, says Cain lived by the evil one. Abel's was righteous. Cain was unrighteous. And he was living by the flesh or by the evil. On the other hand, in Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. All right? These are the character qualities that should define every Christian as we walk through life in family, in the neighborhood, at work. These should be the character qualities that come out of our lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As people look at us, those are the qualities that should pop into their minds about our character and who we are. The first character quality listed is the, in the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we have here, love one another. Now, the New Testament gives us plenty of examples where love is not what's carried out. In Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Philippians, oh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, uh, Paul is finishing up his, his uh, book here in Philippians. And in verses 2 and 3, Paul says, I plead with Eudia and Syntyche to agree with, with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Here's two women at the church of Philippi who worked hand in hand with Paul in ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened? We don't know. But now they're at odds with each other with each other. They're in conflict. And Paul says, you know, Eudia, sing to keep, please come back together. And he asks the church, church, please help these women to resolve their issues and bring their relationship back together. Why? Love one another. What does the church see when they observe two people in a church who are embattled and can't get along? Huh. Love one another. I don't see that. Again, in Corinthians, the first Corinthians, chapter 3, another example of what happens when we decide to live by the flesh. 
Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you, not, you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, for you are worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Here in the church at Corinth, we have a division. There's a division in the church. They can't even agree on who they want to follow. Okay, I'm going to follow Paul, and I'm going to follow Apollos, and they can't get together on who they even want to be their leader. They're loyal to one and not the other. There's division in the church. When members of a church live according to worldly impulses, there will be jealousy, quarreling, and division in the church. Chuck Colson, in a book he wrote, The Body, tells of this incident that happened at Emmanuel Baptist Church just outside of Boston years ago. True story. For weeks, the deacons had been in conflict with the minister, and it was very evident by the seating in the sanctuary. Those who sided with the, the minister sat on the right side. Those who sided with the deacons sat on the left side. Realizing this division couldn't continue, head deacon Frank Fowler went to the pulpit to make an announcement. He smoothed out the paper and he began to read. This is to announce a special congregational meeting to discuss Pastor Don Waite. Suddenly he could not be heard. Florence Waite the pastor's wife, who was at the piano, began playing very, very loudly on the piano. The organist chimed in. The pastor began singing at the top of his lungs, and nobody could hear what the deacon had to say. Before they could begin a second verse, Frank unplugged the power cord to the organ. Another deacon closed the lid of the piano, and witnesses said there was an eerie silence that fell upon the congregation. Then Deacon Ray Bryson moved toward the pastor. Both men stared at each other. Finally, Ray returned, turned to return to his seat when it all started. He tripped over the mic cord and falling to the ground, someone yelled, the pastor pushed him. Ray also believed he had been pushed, so he got up and he punched the pastor in the nose. Flora Waite, the pastor's wife, let out a loud scream, and several members rushed to the stage to restrain Brother Ray and Pastor Waite. But tempers flared, and soon there was much pushing and shoving by several people. The fight ended when the police arrived to restore order. They took down names for the report and suggested some of the men seek medical attention. The following Wednesday, the deacons, pastor Waite, and witnesses were summoned to court. Both sides shared the gory details. Neither party would accept blame or responsibility. Finally, the judge issued a ruling. No charges will be pressed at this time, but I urge you to work this out within your own church. Your Jesus Christ may allow you to act this way in your church service. 
But the Commonwealth of Massachusetts will not permit fist fightings as a regular order of your service. The leadership of Emanuel Baptist Church filed quietly out to their cars and drove off in different directions. On the back of each car was a bumper sticker claiming, God is with us at Emanuel Baptist Church. Not a typical situation, of course. But a church that is out of harmony. A a church that is not displaying love for one another as, as God has told us to. One thing that's very important to mention, there is a difference between disagreement and division. If there are two people in a room, you bring up the right topic, there's going to be disagreement. It's human nature. We all have different beliefs and things we believe in. There's going to be difference. Differences of opinion. But that doesn't mean there needs to be division. Over the years, I've heard people say, see, the church can't even get along. Look at the Christian church. Look at the denominations in the Christian church. And then look at the denominations within the denominations. Did you know there are 25 denominations of Presbyterian churches? You know, it makes me want to be a Baptist again. But you know what? There's 50 denominations of Baptist churches. So people looking, look at this. You're Presbyterians, and you can't even get along together. There were two men. They were out on the ocean enjoying a, a, a nice boat ride. The ocean got rough. They were shipwrecked on a deserted island. They figured out it was Sunday. It was time for church. The two men started first and second Baptist church. Can't even get along on a deserted island. Just an illustration, but I could see that happening where people cannot love one another. Sometimes Christians, instead of living by the Spirit, we live by the flesh. The flesh takes over. The Lord's desire for each one of us is to love one another. And that would be with a sincere love for each other, not a false love. There was a woman at church who was very surprised one day when a lady who normally stayed away from her came up and gave her this big hug. She said, wow, I wonder what happened. I wonder why she gave me that hug today, what initiated her change of heart. She got the answer at the end of the service when the pastor instructed, your assignment for next week is the same as it was for last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody you can't stand. We as Christians can be pretty good at that, too, knowing what our obligation should be to love one another. But God tells us to sincerely love one another. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do you want to be associated with the world and the sinful nature? or with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Scripture doesn't give us an option. 
We need to love one another. While the mark of the world is the sin nature, the mark of the Christian, and therefore the mark of the church, is love. Uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35. John chapter 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. At the beginning of the sermon, we put those symbols up there. Immediate identification of those eight symbols. What's the symbol for us as a Christian? I mean, the fish would be a good, the ichthus, because that was the symbol of the church back in the first century and has stuck through generations. But what um, John is saying here, be love. I don't know if you want to use a heart, some symbol to you that means love. But when people look at people that are able to love one another, that should be the symbol that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. They will know that you are a disciple if you love one another. The passage here in John 13 is found at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, Jesus and the disciples are at the Last Supper. Judas just walked out after understanding he, he's going to betray the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells the disciples he's only going to be with them for a little while longer. The time has come. And as I have loved you, he gives them a commandment at this point in time. As I have loved you, you must love one another. One author wrote, children of God are to behave like children of God. It is not enough to believe right. We must behave right. Now, this is important. Being precedes doing, but all Christians, doing must be based on being. That is who we are in Christ being Christians, loving one another. All men will know that we are disciples of Christ if we love one another. In John 13, 34, John takes it a step further. Love one another as I have loved you. First John, back to 1 John chapter 3, 16, describes what it means to love one another just like Jesus loved us. 1 John 3.16, for this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. Sounds like someone who's made the decision to go into the armed services, or a first responder, someone who is willing in the call of duty to lay down their life for everyone else. 
Love is Jesus laying down his life for us. I have a newsflash. Jesus didn't lay down his life because you and I are such wonderful people. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us, even while we were yet sinners. Jesus laid his life down for sinners like you and me because he loved us. And that's what he calls us to do, to love one another. There's a willingness to give up our lives for those who know Jesus Christ. You know, it's very easy to love, to do nice things for people that we like and that like us. It becomes a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? When, you know, let's face, let's face it, personalities clash sometimes. There are certain people we don't get along with maybe as well as others. And that call to love one another might become a little bit more difficult to fulfill. But it's still an obligation we have to love one another. Then John adds one other aspect to loving one another in 1 John 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and with truth. So along with being willing to lay down my life for others, I need to be able to give and to come to aid to people who are in need. Dr. Rick Warren wrote, The Christian life involves more than just believing. It involves, or it includes belonging. We grow in Christ by being in relationship with other Christians. Another commentary stated, we experience our best life when we shift from a me to a we mindset. We are to be others-centered, not self-centered. And that is very difficult in such an I-centered world. Are our eyes open to see the need of others and those around us? Emotional needs, financial needs, different needs that people have. Are we aware? Are our eyes open to see that? I will admit, Karen is a much better giver than I am. I'm a little more stingy in that department, even though I shouldn't be. Um, Going way back to when we first got married, uh, we had a swimming pool, a public swimming pool, not too far from where we lived, and we took the kids up there one day. We went up, sat and watched the kids swim, and when we went to leave, I said, honey, where are your sunglasses? Oh, that friend of ours, she needed a pair, so I gave them to her. Well, okay, well, that means we got to go and buy you another pair. Okay, now we got, that was nice. There was another time, and I don't know if we were coming out of church or where we were. I said, hey, honey, where's your Bible? Oh, somebody really needed a Bible, so I gave her mine. And, and again, oh, now we got to go buy you another Bible. But bottom line, those were the smaller items that Karen has, <laughs> as far as gifted over the years. 
But did you know giving is a spiritual gift? Yes, that's one of the spiritual gifts. Karen is much better in that area than I am. All right, but we are supposed to give. One of the reasons is because it's a spiritual gift because God has told us to love one another. And when we see somebody in need, we're supposed to take care of that need and our love for them. In closing, I found one author's description of loving one another, what it means to love one another. Jesus has commanded us to love one another. We are to love one another and not hate one another. That's simple. We are to accept and not reject. In case you haven't noticed, we're all different. We're to accept and not reject. We are to serve people, not use people. We are to listen and not ignore. We are to give, not to receive. We are to support and not to desert. We are to encourage and not discourage. A new command I give to you, love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are disciples if you love one another. As we go out the red doors, we are to love one another. As we're inside the red doors, we are to love one another. Like the Nike swoosh or the McDonald's golden arches, our sign, our symbol, should be the fact that we love one another. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love the chorus that we sang at the beginning of the service, the wonderful cross. But Father, there is nothing wonderful about Jesus' experience as he endured the cross. Those days leading up to the cross, being betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. The arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. The trial before the Jewish leaders and then Pilate. The torture at the hands of the soldiers. And after being sentenced to death, having to carry his own cross until he could carry it no longer. And then be nailed to that cross and crucified. Father, what an awful, horrific experience. But Father, as we focus our attention during this Lenten season... We most reflect on the depth of the love that you have for us. That you gave up your only son as the sacrifice for our sins. And for Jesus who endured the humiliation and the torture of the cross. The experience of the cross is far from wonderful. But the expression of your love for us and the forgiveness and the redemption that we receive because of that cross is the most wonderful thing that anyone has ever done for us. The most powerful expression of love ever given. Father, that was your plan.
plan to transform us. Those of us who deserve, all of us who deserve eternal condemnation for our sin. But you gave us a wonderful, wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And for that we are eternally thankful. Father, this week we pray for those in New Zealand that are dealing with this tragic loss of family, friends, and loved ones. Lord, this has become a way too common event in our fallen world. And today we pray for another group of people who go through this tragedy. Father, we just pray for the healing process that must take place after dealing with such a horrific, senseless tragedy. Be with them. Give them comfort. Give them healing, Lord. Father, today we pray also for those in our church who are experiencing a number of hardships, recently experiencing the death of a loved one, or those going through a variety of illnesses, some serious, others who are dealing with a number of other hardships, financial, emotional. Lord, we are hurting people. We're human. Father, may they sense the presence of your Holy Spirit in their lives. Father, please heal them, comfort them, provide for them that they may have peace and be able to rest knowing that their lives are in the hands of their loving Heavenly Father. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to enter into a corporate and personal worship this morning with this precious church family you've given us. We love you, Lord, knowing that you first loved us.